0: Are you ready to take your mindset to an even higher level on and off the mat? Then you're ready for the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast, where business owners and aspiring entrepreneurs open their minds to new ideas and concepts that will help you during your entrepreneurial journey and during your consistent pursuit of becoming the best version of yourself personally and professionally. It's time to go beyond the map with the host of the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast, Gustavo Dantas.
1: Welcome to episode 47. I'm your host, Gustavo Dantas, and today we have Renson Shepherd. Renson is a black belt in jiu-jitsu, the chief marketing officer of Grips, a grappling and MMA apparel company, and also the co-founder of Packages Nevada, a cannabis cultivation business. He talked about the importance of mentors in your life, about taking risks, and when he shared about one of his biggest entrepreneurial struggles and what did he learn from it, inspired the title of the podcast, Prepare for the Worst and Hope for the Best. Stick around for my final thoughts after the interview when I expand on his optimistic mindset. Stay tuned right after Live Jiu-Jitsu's message. Woos. The BJJ Mental Coach Podcast is a proud supporter of the nonprofit organization Live Jiu-Jitsu. Live Jiu Jitsu supports social projects in Brazil and in the United States who offer free Jiu Jitsu classes to unprivileged children and young adults in impoverished communities, inspiring, impacting and improving their lives, keeping them away from drugs and crime, creating hope and creating champions on and off the mats. Your donation helps projects to buy new mats, uniforms, tournament registrations and the monthly expenses of these projects. As a supporter, the BJJ Mental Coach donates all the profit of all online courses and merchandise to Live Jiu Jitsu. For more information, please visit www.livejiujitsu.org. Let me introduce you to today's guest, Ranson Shepard. Ranson is a black belt in Jiu Jitsu under John Lewis. Ranson is originally from Hawaii, where he lived until 2003. In 2003, he moved to Vegas to attend UNLV. Where he had earned an academic scholarship, Ranson played football at UNLV. He's currently with Grips as the chief marketing officer. Grips is a brand providing ultra-quality and performance clothing, accessories, and complementary products with a focus on details, design, and functionality for the athletes they service within the combat and functional area. Ranson is also the co-founder of Pegasus Nevada, a cannabis cultivation business, and he is also a proud husband. And father of two. Renson lives by the approach of prepare for the worst, hope for the best. Renson, welcome to the podcast.
2: (laughs) Definitely. Thank you, Gustavo. I appreciate you so much for your time. And thank you to all the listeners and followers as well.
1: We do have a connection with John Lewis because when I moved, for the listeners don't know, when I moved to the US in nineteen ninety nine, I moved to Las Vegas. And John is the one who opened the doors for me in the United States, and I'm forever grateful had a chance to actually have dinner with him last year in LA and it's a guy that man I can thank him enough for what has done for me and if I'm here at this position today he's a huge part of my life so how did a BJJ show up in your life?
2: BJJ actually (laughs) I don't want to say it was by accident you know everything usually always happens for a reason but I actually went into JSEC to do boxing and kickboxing with Skipper Kelp, Andreas Spang, and a few of the other guys there at that time. Um, I moved to Las Vegas in 2003, and I went to school at UNLV. And then at that time I was, you know, playing football, doing all those things. So I was just, you know, the typical football player. You know, I, a lot of times I had a force security on things. <laughs> Being strong, fast, and all those different things. And after college, after I got done playing football, you know, I wanted to stay somewhat active, but at the same to still keep learning and applying my athletic abilities and so you know I got invited by a mutual friend um, his name was Chad Edgerland to Fight Capital or JSEC and uh, he introduced me to Skipper and Andreas and everybody so I started taking a few classes and then along the way I heard these guys upstairs um, training so I went up there and I actually seen Dave Howard first and then you know John Lewis was there in the mornings one time and you know they invited me to take a class and I still remember like it was yesterday, (laughs) January 3rd, 2007, Um, there was this little youngster on the mats. He must've been about 13 years old at the time. His name is Brian Penalosa. He's now a doctor now. And at the time I was like 21 or before I was going to be my 22nd birthday. And you know, all John and Dave told me was I couldn't lift him up and slam him. You know, at that time I was like maybe 265, 270 pounds. This kid was like 130 pounds. So I almost felt disrespected. I was like, man, these guys are trying to tell me to go with this little kid. And I'm like, I'm going to beat the shit out of him. <laughs> and uh, as we all know, you know, jiu-jitsu is about leverage, technique, and timing, and positioning. So, of course, he choked me out in like 30 seconds, you know, with a triangle choke. And I, I was like, no, nah, that's, that's, that can't happen. So we go again. He choked me out again in like a minute with a rear naked choke. And the rest is history. You know, at that point, I looked at those two guys. I was like, I got to learn. You know, I, I got to figure out how he just did that, and you know at that point i was um it it was just it was life changing you know one of the most humbling experiences ever in my life and I was so grateful for it because it ended up transforming you know not only my perception on things but also my you know my appreciation for just the little things and you know I, I owe so much to Jiu-Jitsu for sure and John Lewis and the rest of the family because you know like you said. John Lewis is one of those guys where very, you know, a lot of people do know him, but a lot of people don't know him and know his story and know his background into not only the martial arts world, but also what he's done for a lot of people. You know, he's really trying to do his best to help out a tremendous amount of people. Then like anything else, you know, we're always going to go through our bumps and bruises or transitions where, you know, sometimes people are not meant to be in our journeys and people make certain decisions. But he's always been somebody in my life that life-changing. You know, whenever I'm going through different things or I I need certain, you know, opinions and views, I'll call him up and be like, hey, John, what do you think about this? And, you know, he, no hesitation. You know, that guy still treats me like I'm one of his kids. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, you know, the love I have for him is amazing. I truly, you know, I truly appreciate everything he's done.
1: And how do you feel Jiu-Jitsu relate to life?
2: You know, it's the most kind of a biased thing. You know, all of us that train Jiu-Jitsu and you know, do grappling, you know, do all the different martial arts. I feel Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is life. You know, I truly feel that way because it teaches you essential values and fundamentals. And like we talk about position, you know, leverage, timing, technique. That's life. You know, if you're in the right position in life and you're prepared correctly, when the opportunity comes, you're going to be ready. And if you use the right technique at the right time, you know, there's so many different ways to approach a situation, but use the right technique, you're either going to figure out a way to get around it, under it, over it, through it. It don't matter. You're going to figure it out. And do leverage. It's just a matter of leveraging the right amount of technique or, you know, you know, or timing to improve your position exponentially. And then obviously like anything else, you know, that, that's life in general. You know, and a lot of people, if they can figure out a way to connect those dots and and make it happen, you know, they, they have a whole new appreciation for it. But, yeah, BGJ to me is life. You know, BGJ opened up my life in so many different ways. That it's endless.
1: Yeah. We're in 2019, Rana. How old are you now?
2: Whew. 33 years old. <laughs>
1: <laughs> now, if you're 33. You're young, but you do have a lot of experience, man. So, we're going to be talking a lot of different things. But... When did you say was the spark that you had to get involved with entrepreneurship?
2: Um, so So when I started Jiu-Jitsu, I was working on working with General Nutrition Centers, the big supplement company, you know, a big retail chain. And I was on the regional sales director's team's uh, management team. And basically all the stores in Las Vegas, Nevada, or the entire state of Nevada, was under somewhat of my supervision. Along with all the employees underneath those different locations, whether it's franchise, whether it's corporate, etc., and I worked with you know a, a very strong team there. And jujitsu took over my life at that time. You know, I was working corporate before I got there, but what happened was I ended up going to jujitsu, you know, two three times a day, five six days a week. So I was still able to work from you know where you know in between times, but because it transforms your mind and your perception on things like we talk about techniques, we talk about different variations, we talk about ways to look at different things immediately, you know, jujitsu opened up a spark as far as from not only entrepreneurial, but to look at everything that was involved in, you know, I'm a very analytical person about things. You know, I like to kind of take a step back, look at the pros and cons and look at the downsides and protections of every situation and try to troubleshoot accordingly, but troubleshoot on the fly. So I would have to say, from the time I started, it was immediate, you know, because John's way of teaching is pretty is pretty unique, but it's also very standardized to what we know within the, the martial arts world. You know, his favorite answer to me was, you know, if I ever got caught in a bad position was, oh, don't get there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I used to be like, what are you talking about, I man? I used to think that he didn't like me or something, but his whole thing was just real easy. He said, if you don't put yourself in a situation, you'll be aware of it and you know it's coming, Stick to the basics, stick to the fundamentals. Keep your elbows in tight, keep your chin down, and be aware of what's coming. Then that way you never run into those positions. And um, so it, once again, it goes back to life. If I never put myself in a bad situation, whether it's business, whether it's life, whether it's family, whether it's my kids, and I'm always aware of my surroundings and what's around me, it, it's pretty amazing what happens after that fact. you know.
1: And how did you get involved with Grips? John Lewis. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Um, so John made an introduction with a gentleman named Tom Atencio. and Tom Attensio was one of the co-founders and one of the original guys. I don't know exactly his, you know, the exact details, uh, with Affliction clothing and how he was, you know, started, etc. But, you know, John mm-hmm. caught me up one day, you know, when I was teaching a class after I was teaching a class at um, JSEC. And he said, look, I'd like for you to take a meeting in Las Vegas. I'm going to send out a friend of mine, please connect with him. And, you know, please hear him out and see if there's a possible opportunity for you guys to work with each other. Um, he was looking to sponsor athletes. And at that time I said, yeah, if I can get some product and, you know, make a few uh, posts or whatever it may be, I'm all for it, you know? And, um, I met Tom at a little bakery shop in uh, Vietnamese town (laughs) and, uh, I sat down, I looked at him, I was like, man, this guy looks familiar. And then, of course, he introduced himself. He told me his background and whatnot. I was like, wow, you know, pretty amazing. Then he also talked about his partners overseas, you know, in Italy, Hong Kong, etc. that was behind the brand and the company itself. And I told him, I said, yeah, you know, let's do a follow-up. I'd love to learn more. I'd love to see how we can, you know, define roles and responsibilities and how I can be a part of contributing to, you know, this type of movement that you guys are doing. So, of course, I go back with John. I said, look, John. Um, you know, what do you think? You think is something of opportunity? You know, I'm not looking at just from a sponsorship side. I'm looking at as a learning side. You know, if this guy's got all this kind of experience doing this type of a thing, you know, i want to try to figure out a, you know, an agreement between him to where there's low risk low impact, but high reward. So, you know, I went back to Tom. I basically told Tom, um, you know, I have to talk with John. I was that, like, hey, look, Tom, give me 60 days. If, you know, you don't even have to pay me. If I close my accounts for you guys and... You know, it makes sense. We were negotiate at the end of those sixty days. But what I want at the end of those sixty days is not just to be a part of your team, your grips team, but I want to get mentored by you. I want to be able to ask questions, spend time with you in California. You know, he lived in Laguna de Galo at that time, so it was a quick, you know, four four hour drive from Las Vegas. And I wanted to, you know, understand his approach to business, understand his experiences, you know, his mistakes, his failures, but also his successes. But I always try to target the mistakes and failures the most because that's what you really learn compared to just the successes you know and um he was you know he was very open for it he was like wow cool you know so i don't have to pay you it's free work free labor and uh, if, if you make something happen cool we, we can move forward and um it worked out you know tom was very very impactful in those early years you know and working with him you know that guy poured a lot of knowledge into me you know he poured a lot of not structure organization but sales marketing branding product development um, you know networking connections and how to structure certain things in a you know a certain process and you know i'm forever grateful for that guy
1: yeah so what did and this is this is great for all the listeners to pay attention because what do you what you did is something some so simple but taking taking a not a risk because like i said it's just is your time they took the risk when you perceive but you just kind of went out and just asked and just put the time and you had no idea what what that was going to lead to so that was incredible that you took that initiative that i think more people could do that i remember i have mentioned a few times i think in a podcast but in 2012 i got involved with public speaking and when I met my mentor, Joel, and he's in the Hall of Fame of Public Speaking, I just got very blessed that he lives in Arizona. He's currently at 77. He's still my mentor. And after I met I met this guy and he just uh, really, where I'm at in my professional life, he has a huge impact on it. And after I did investment coaching with him and when I was done, I'm, I told him, I'm willing to do, whatever, if you ask me at 3 a.m., Gustavo, come here, you need to carry some 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 boxes or whatever, like, no problem, on my way. But, and I told him, I'm willing to be your assistant for whatever you need. And he's like, okay, I never had an assistant before, but I'll keep in mind. And every time, I'll keep in contact with him, like, hey, just let you know if you need an assistant, I'm here. And finally, he had one speaking engagement, and it was a weekend, and – in Arizona it was a two-day event and said hey you like to come I was like yeah like 5 a.m. he's like super you know, strict with everything 5 a.m. here at the hotel like got it got there like 4:45, and just seeing him like live doing everything that he teach me I was like man just blow me away and from there he started to take me to events so I had a chance to be in the room with the Hall of Fame speakers with people that I can't believe that he's doing an interview with this guy and it's me, the cameraman, and him, you know, and I'm like, can't believe this. And went to, so he invited me to go to the National Speaker Association with him, and I got involved with that and Public Speaking Academy, and all of that because I insisted too, and like, hey, I'm here for the time, and very similar to this. So, man. Uh, I would like to even expand this on that. You know, do you mention this to more people to say like, hey, do you give suggestion to people to ask for mentorship and stuff?
2: Absolutely. Um, you know, my I, I would say my biggest my biggest impact has always come from the mentors. And for me, you know, being born and raised out in Hawaii, you know, I'm from Waimanala, Hawaii. And you know, I come from a very small town. And and I was raised by my grandparents. You know, we got taken away by the CPS at a very young age. So, you know, my grandparents, you know, they're a tremendous influence and they made the biggest impacts in my life. But the biggest core things that they taught us was, you know, we we didn't have much, you know, we we lived in low-income housing out there in Waimanalo. But the thing that they did teach us was be respectful, work hard, love your family, and don't be afraid to swing, you know? Don't be afraid to take risk or make a mistake or fail and you know my grandfather you know god rest his soul he just passed away this past year and i buried him a few months back but he was by far on one side the family side a major mentor and impact in my life on the business side i have multiple business mentors in jujitsu i have multiple mentors in that in that world as well so everything that i'm involved in no matter what it is any aspect any phase of life I always, always encourage mentorship because the biggest thing, is it's so simple. You know, if we knew everything, <laughs> you know, life would be so simple, but we don't know everything. And to you know, it goes back to jitsu again. You know, jiu-jitsu teaches you how to deal with your ego. And a lot of times with mentorship, people just have a certain ego of things to where they're scared to ask or they don't know how to ask. And it's not even just about to ask because when you start engaging with people, you know, an elite level of certain things that they're involved in, People don't realize it that they want to give back. You know, they want to teach. They want to, you know, pay it forward or pass it on. And in jiu jitsu, the same. You know, when you first walk into the gym, you might have an ego, but when you leave that gym, the likelihood and chances of you being humbled is very high. And <laughs> um, and 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 that's the thing, but it's like, like when you're training. And when I first started training, I never knew how far it would take me. I just knew I was having fun. I was enjoying it. I was learning. I was, you know, stimulated and to get better. And I knew that at that time, if I put in the work, I would get something out as far as, you know, self-confidence, you know, weight loss, whatever it is. But it's like anything in jiu-jitsu, you're only going to get out what you put in. And with Jiu-Jitsu, it's all about what you can give instead of take away from the sport. And that's why a lot of people get messed up in times is where they're trying to take, take, take from the sport instead of trying to give back to the sport, you know, give back to the art, give back to the people around you. And when they have that mindset to give and, you know, be in that element to, you know, work with the different upper belts, or even the white belts and work with everybody and learn and engage with each other, it's amazing. But it's the same thing in life. It's the same thing in business. When you apply that same thing that you're doing in the, the academy and then you do it in the regular world, Man, it's just you go from you know every year turns out to be seven years. You know, so you're operating in dog years at that point. You know, and if you're very you know very aggressive, you know every year is fourteen years, and you know that's just one of those things where mentorship. If any anybody's getting into business, having challenges, having those things, look for the people that has done what you're trying to do, or look for the people that has gone through the trials and tribulations and mistakes and adversities and find out why they went through that what did they do to overcome those things and apply to their lives because you know everybody's got their own you know journey or you know approach to things but that's what makes jujitsu so beautiful as well is that there's so many different ways of approaching it it's just what makes you do it your way
1: absolutely and now i know that you've been you don't work just with grips i would like you to expand a little bit more on your other business ventures that you have going on in, in Nevada. And I know that you got involved with uh, cannabis facilities that getting very popular in Nevada. Oh, basically all over the United States is growing more States getting regulated and so forth. So I'd like to you to share a little bit of what's going on with that. And then I'll have a few questions after that. How did you, how did you run into the business?
2: Um, well, like I said, we, you know, we broke away grips, you know, with grips, I came to John Lewis and, um, you know, at grips, I learned a lot, you know, on that team was Tom Atencio, Claudio Rondinelli. Um, Claudio is based in Hong Kong now. And Claudio has you know, been a very successful businessman in his own right, you know, involved in many different industries, um, originally from Italy, but, you know, through that, I was able to do different things, but that was just one component. You know, like I said, when I first started jujitsu, I was in the corporate world of supplements and nutrition. But being that jujitsu overtook my life, I left that behind. I moved on to hospitality and nightlife. I started working in nightclubs, you know, lounges, restaurants, et cetera, in the hotels and casinos here in Las Vegas to supplement my living, you know, because I I didn't really want to go to work. And at that time I was young, you know, so I remember when I told my grandparents that, hey, look, I'm going to leave my job and I'm going to go do a sport that doesn't pay me. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to go do a job that, is about a third of what I'm getting paid now, maybe a fourth of what I'm getting paid now. And I I want you guys to support me. (laughs) So of course my grandfather thought I was out of my mind. You know, he thought I was high and I don't even smoke. I've never done anything ever. I've only, you know, consumed alcohol, but he thought I was out of my mind. And he was like, grandson, that we didn't send you to college to, you know, study, you know, work hard, build, you know, work skills and, you know, develop a life, you know, do those things. We, we didn't send you college to go do a sport that doesn't pay you and to go take a pay cut by almost, you know, four times to go do something that you don't know. And, you know, my thing to him was, I'm young. You know, right now I'm 21, going to be 22. If I want to make mistakes, pops, I want to make them right now. I don't want to wait till later on in life and I'm having that pain of regret, you know, because those things are permanent sometimes. You know, you get that would have, could have, should have, but you didn't do it. And then it keeps, you know, biting at you. And I didn't want to be that guy. You know, I wanted to at least try to see how far I could take it. If it works out, cool. Like you said, the only thing I lost was just time. And so of course I went ahead and did it anyways. <laughs> so I started, um, I, I started as a security guard uh, with one of the local uh, hospitality groups watching a bathroom door. And you talk about a humbling experience coming from being on RSD management team, overseeing stores opening from start to finish, implementing systems, implementing process, developing products, and to go back to watching a bathroom door, all because I wanted to train jujitsu. You know, you learn a lot of bunch of stuff at that time. You know, you've got bussers, waitresses, waiters telling you, like, you know, treating you in very difficult positions at times. So it was very humbling for me. But I trusted in my own self and I trusted my process that jujitsu would, you know, would pay off eventually, you know, it's, it's what I have to lose this time. But along that way, I worked myself up the different management skills in our different departments in hospitality and nightlife. And I eventually found myself at the, um, on the um, services side, and the manager side at the front door of nightclubs, where we create efficiencies, filters, streamline um, different things in order to, you know, monetize for the front door, for the bottle service, for the VIP experience, for the different things. And I was able to do certain things there that made me very valuable. <laughs> so it it ended up taking me to another, you know, another venture in my life. And in November 2010, I ended up leaving um, Angel Manage Group, which is formerly Pure, which became Hakkasan. And um, I went over with a buddy of mine and a part of his team to be a part of the group to open up Marquee in the Cosmopolitan mental group. And, you know, that nightclub opened up, you know, New Year's Eve 2011, but ended up breaking every single major record within Las Vegas at that time, you know, within a short period of time it was, you know, paying itself off. And that club was what, 66,000 square feet, give or take. And, you know, it probably cost a little under a hundred million dollars to pay itself, you know, to to build. But that club ended up paying itself off in the first year. You wow. know, so it, it was, it was a huge time. And, you know, and this is, you know, a few years after recession. You know, the recession here in Las Vegas was rough. You know, 2008, 2009, 2010, it was rough for a lot of people here, and a lot of businesses. So. You know, this goes to show you that within that industry, there are so many different opportunities, so many different things to push forward on. And I was able to be there at that time in the right spot at the right time, but have the right mindset to learn, be open, have no ego. And if I didn't know, it was okay if I didn't know, you know, with those type of things, it was just very straightforward and, um, you know, got those things squared away. Then from there, you know, Marky became very successful. I stayed there two, for about a year. After that I took like a year and a half vacation you know, I didn't do anything. I just focused on jujitsu. Um, you know, at that time I got my black belt, you know, shortly in 2011, um, you know, you helped me sign off on my black belt certificate card to even Mm give me a lot to even compete. And, uh, you know, that right there was pretty amazing for me. And, but, you know, like I'm forever grateful for that. You know, you was there coaching me when I won the American nationals. Mm -hmm. And I remember you were telling me, you know, step over the head to get the choke. And, um, it's just one of those things where After I left Marquee, um, the vacation, I had my first child and um, I got a chance to travel, you know, be a father and, you know, really embrace that. And, you know, that once again had another sticking point in my life to it just exploded again, you know, my perception on things, how to care more about others than yourself and how to really put someone's, you know, life in your hands and really do the right things, you know, responsibility, sacrifice, whatever it takes and, you know, make it happen. But. All the stuff that I learned from Jiu-Jitsu and me being naturally competitive, it just compounded. And, you know, like yourself, like anybody else that does what we do in business or does what we do in, you know, Jiu-Jitsu, we're very, very competitive. You know, I don't care if it's wiping my ass, taking out the trash. I want to (laughs) win. You know, I really want to win. So I am going to do whatever it takes to do those things. And, you know, so it leveraged again. So after I left um, Tao Group, I went over to... Um, Sugar Factory, with Stevie D, once again, through John Lewis. We opened up a nightclub there. We did the same thing there. It was a great time. There took another vacation. <laughs> I came back again with SBE, which is the guys that own SLS brands, they own Hyde Bellagio. We did another nightclub venture there. Um, I left that. And by those times, I had different investments. I was also doing grips at the same time, and I had certain things start rising. And uh, my last stint in hospitality and nightlife was with Live Nation. And they're the guys that own, you know, House of Blues, Foundation Rooms, Ticketmaster.com. You know, they own 50% of EDC. They own, you know, multiple contracts for, you know, some of the major celebrities and influencers in the world today. And I was able to be a part of their, you know, headquarters here in Las Vegas to work at great teams. And um, from there, the businesses took off. Um, you know, I of course, like I said in, um, in previous mm-hmm. conversation... I, you know, I made some mistakes and failures, you know, some of the first companies I started, <laughs> man, it was terrible. You know, when I look back at it now, I was like, man, I thought I knew everything at that point. And this is actually right before I met up with Tom around the same time. And uh, and I, I, I learned such valuable lessons. I won, you know, one project. I lost everything I had into that project, you know, and it was with my brother and my sister. And, you know, of course, you know, I felt horrible at that time because, you know, were, those two were relying on me. And I was like, man, I felt I let them down. But you know, thank God I had a job. Thank God I had other things going on, and I was able to bounce back very quickly. You know, but the mental, uh, the mental process was what was very tough at that time. You know, because like I said, when you're super competitive, I don't care if you're giving up an inch. You don't want to give up an inch. You know, at that time you got to really force yourself to you know accept a setback in order to you know set something up. And it's tough, man. You know, and like jiu jitsu, we, we talk about it all the time. And jiu jitsu is simple. My style in jiu jitsu is similar to the way John taught me, where I'm constant pressure. I'm trying to put pressure on you. I'm trying to, you know, pass a guard, you know, advance position, you know, wait for the right timing and, and do those different things. So I apply the same thing in business. You know, we apply pressure, we constantly overwhelm things. And when it opens up, then we take advantage of it. But sorry started going back and forth on things, guys. No problem. Um, and I know it's a Love lot. It. And I know I talk fast. Like I said, stupid. you know,
1: you you're young, but you, you have done a lot of things. You have a lot of different experience. So I love that because you can get a lot of different perspectives. So go ahead. We don't have any time limit here. <laughs> you know I mean?
2: Well, definitely, you know, I always ask questions guys. Um, but yeah, like I was saying, so after I got out of that nightlife, um, I got heavily involved into obviously grips at the time, but at grips, I was also doing um, cannabis ventures and, you know, at that time, you know, I come from, you know, neighborhood and upbringing to where my grandparents to this day, when well, my grandmother was so alive, they still think I'm out of my mind. You know, they're like, that, 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 that's a drug, that's this, that's that. And I believed that too at one point when I was coming up because I just didn't know. You know, when I started really doing the research and looking back at the history of it, looking back at the medicines, looking back at all the different things, you know, I started to change my perception. You know, but I'd say that too is I'm, not going to be naive and ignorant if i don't know i don't know i'm going to step back and let the people i do know do their part or at least answer my questions that i have but a buddy of mine his name is um, chad wallace we're sitting down at the time on um, in the gym at the academy and i was giving privates to his son and Garrett, but we call him g and <laughs> we're sitting down there talking one time we're like man We've seen what's happening in the Colorados and Washingtons in 2012 when they passed a law to go recreational. And it took them two years to go recreational in 2014. But we knew that, you know, times were changing. We even looked at Arizona. You know, in 2010, Arizona passed a medical marijuana law. And it took them nearly three years to get their first stores open, you know, in 2013. So, you know, we're sitting down in the gym around 2012 looking at different things. you are like, man, you know, things are changing. We, we got to learn about this thing. And, you know, me coming from Hawaii, it's everywhere. You know, nobody cares about marijuana out there. You know, it's kind of like in the culture. And I, I never used it to the day, I still never used it. You know, my family members and whatnot, it just wasn't my cup of tea. You know, I see nothing about it. I don't judge anybody that does use it. It was just never my thing. You know, my thing was just, you know, people, you know, the business, you know, the service, you know, helping people, creating value. That was my thing. And so me and Chad, you know, we dug right into it right away. You know me chad even um i also got a cousin of mine he was you know heavily influential too in the very beginnings but we started doing our homework and due diligence and we started looking at this thing and we started you know reaching out to political back channels that we have here and you know chad and his wife come from a very strong family here in las vegas nevada and you know they have certain access that you know very few people will and we're able to find out what was going to happen ahead of time so we started making you know certain connections certain calls um, started traveling to certain markets to better understand the industry you know because we didn't want to just get into it without knowing you know without doing our homework without doing our due diligence because you know history taught me otherwise you know before when I lost my first business and I failed dramatically (laughs) I learned because I didn't do my homework I didn't do my due diligence and I I wasn't positioned correctly so of course I got ran over you know and I, I didn't like that feeling so When we got into this business, I wasn't going to let that happen. You know, I wasn't just going to sit back and let somebody run me over without, you know, doing my homework. So we, you know, it took us well over a year, man, to understand the different regulation enforcement on a state-by-state basis, understand the separation between state and federal, understand the pursuit of application and licensing understand building design, and understand implementation and rollout, but having proof of concepts in a ready previous markets before us that was highly regulated. And you know, that took a lot of time because you know, when you first get into the industry, you know, nobody's gonna call their baby ugly. You know, so every person that you meet is gonna be like, man, I got the best this, I got the secret this, I got the secret that. And then when you ask them, hey, the problem, I don't mind you telling me, but show me. You know, what have you done commercially? I'm not talking about what you've done in your garage, your closet, or your backyard. Like, what have you done commercially to where if we put together this business plan and this model and we bring in the funding for it now you're talking about millions and millions of dollars tens of millions of dollars to get this business off the ground and get it going so we can't go to our partners and our investors and be like yeah i want you to put in you know five ten million dollars but i have no way of getting there you know i have a team that doesn't know how to get there you know nobody's gonna listen to you they'll kick you out of their office <laughs> so um so you know me and chad we, we did a homework um you know We found some guys in California, but, you know, we're very skittish about California because at the time when we were doing our homework was it was still considered the wild, wild west. You know, back in those days, you shut them down one day, they open up the next on another corner. And we wanted nothing to do with that stigma to follow ourselves, our venture, our partners, and more important, the legacies that some of our partners have built here in Las Vegas, Nevada. You know, they've been here for generations and, you know, they've done very well for themselves. And the last thing we want to do is bring, you know, dishonor or disrespect to what they've done and built their whole lives on. So we had to do it correctly, which is what led us to Arizona. And in Arizona, we were able to find a very, you know, trusted friend and great colleague of ours in uh, Taiwan. He owns uh, herbal wellness centers out there. And he's got a few brands called Vaping Clear, Vaping Extracts. And through our team with David, led by David Holmes at the time, you know, through our management services contract, it was able to give us a guinea pig type format, a proof of concept. So we're able to troubleshoot the early headaches and challenges of cultivation, production, retail in a regulated market like Arizona, which is medical at the time, and it's still only medical. But we learned the pitfalls and the headaches of early getting in and want to do it with timing, how to get started, et cetera. Like Arizona is a market that taught us that it takes at least 18 to 24 months before every new medical market catches traction because of the patient base. You know, if the doctors are not giving out the patient cards correctly or recommendations correctly, that's going to be your main bottleneck between supply and demand. And Arizona taught us that, you know. So learning all the things that we did there, we came to Nevada. You know, Nevada 2013, they passed a law to change the the program. 2014, they opened up the application process. And at that point, we already, you know, after getting all that due diligence from Arizona, California, all the different markets, we brought it back here. We put together a solid team. Um, you know, me and there's four of the partners, there's five of us. Me and Chad oversee the day to day, and the other three partners are you know very passive and silent. But those guys, everybody's family. You know, everybody within the group is either best friends or family members. And you know, the level of trust with there was very high. So we went through the state and county process, got all our approvals, you know, for cultivation, production, distribution. Um, you know, on the retail side is a little more competitive. On that side because in Nevada this separated differently from Arizona you know Arizona's vertical license you know you have cultivation production retail underneath one license here in Nevada they wanted to capitalize on the application fees and taxes and the permitting so they separated everything you know you have everything's all separate so you had to pay different things for different ones and um, you know with those things it it was a, a very very tedious process you know so we, we we learned a lot from that. Um, we got the approvals necessary. We got the state approvals in November fourteenth, and then we already had the building and the land locked up. It was already owned by the group, and you know we already had our funding in place. We already have everything locked in place accordingly, but we knew that would take time, so we waited. You know, as thank God we didn't have to pay rent or do anything like that. You know, to burn resources and burn through capital, but we didn't get operational to two thousand and sixteen. We put plants in our September of 2016. First harvest came down roughly, you know, beginning of 17 and we started sales March 1st of 17. So it was roughly four months after our two year anniversary. So we talked about timing that Arizona taught us. So when we started sales, we got into 40 plus accounts within eight weeks with no marketing, no branding. Straight quality of product, quality of people, quality of process. And being that we knew everybody within the industry that had licenses and shops it was easy for me to pick up the phone and call them, and say look let's get a quick lunch get a quick coffee let's sit down get some samples you know like any other business we'll follow up on a follow-up and we'll close and that's what happened you know me and chad's wife heather uh Marnell wallace were able to you know go after each account you know one by one and you know, in the beginning, they're like, who are you guys? You know, and then we kind of told them a story. Like, we come from, you know, we're originally from here, but we have our proof of concept from Cali and Arizona, but we're going to go to talk about Arizona. Because Cali was crazy. So, and it worked. You know, it ended up being very aggressive. And then four months later, after March 1st, you know, July 1st, Recreational opened here in Las Vegas, uh, well, the state of Nevada. And we called it adult use. And, you know, despite the pros and cons of each program or each industry, you know, we we took it in stride. And once adult use hit in Las Vegas, it exploded. You know, when you have 40 plus million people a year in tourism and they come here, you know, on a routine basis, there's no way. You know, especially with our market being capped, there's not a lot of businesses in our industry, in our market. You know, they operate, look at what we have with gaming casinos. There's only a select few that own those licenses unrestricted. Same for alcohol distribution, same for construction, same for politics, same for real estate, land development, etc. You know, Las Vegas is a very um, I don't want to say good old boy, but very old mentality of things. And um uh, it, it's it's always been that way. But through that process, we've been able to leverage. So 2017 was bigger. In 2017, we had some uh we had some opportunities that come our way. That was just a, uh, you know, just a repetitive process of what we did before due diligence. And like we talked about before compounding, you know, once things start to compound and explode, it's gonna hit hard. And if you're not positioned, you don't have the right infrastructure set up, you're gonna miss on those opportunities. But thank God we're in that position. So one of them was we got a chance to work with a team to go after a medical research contract with LSU Ag Center in Louisiana. and you know, that contract was focusing on not just tissue culture, not just the research and studies, but pain management, inflammation, alternative solutions to opiates, uh, really looking at the terpene profiles, cannabinoid profiles of the plant and validating it with research and studies with an accredited university like LSU. But at the same time too is the group that we were able to participate with and get rid, that's what they focus on is science. And for us, we just wanted to participate and contribute any way that we could. You know, whether it's financially, whether it's you know SOPs, IP, whatever things that we do, but we see in the bigger play of things. You know, when you're aligned with a project like that, and you bring that momentum back into any market that you're in, it's going to duplicate itself. So when you, you know, when you go to accounts or stores and be like, yeah, you know, we're, we're part of a program that we're studying the real benefits and research and studies for long term on this industry, on this plant, on what effects that it has. And of short, you know, there's going to be some failures and mistakes. There's going to be some stuff that might happen that we don't, you know, don't foresee, but that's the excitement of it. And then from there, it leveraged directly into other things, you know, got into managing service type contracts because the industry is so heavily taxed.
0: <laughs> you had
2: to figure out certain ways to position yourself without taking a hit, you know, and uh, we're able to help other struggling businesses within our industry in multiple states to take their companies to profitability so that's just allowed us to scale at a rapid rate. And, you know, now right now we are in heavy conversations and you know, closing Massachusetts, Oklahoma, California, Nevada, Louisiana, and obviously Arizona. So with those six states, you know, it gives us a lot of work to do. And now all we're doing is just creating SOPs, IPs, developing, educating, training, oversee day day oversight, and make sure the business is successful. And we, we, also got involved with um, Native American tribes. Uh, me being Native Hawaiian, it was very easy for me to make that connection because we understand the struggles and adversities, you know, just in cultural, just in, you know, our, in our monarchy, you know how we had our government systems, etc. And we're able to work at some groups here all across the state to where we could bring real change and impact for the positive. So we ended up, you know, Taking some operations on the cultivation side and really helping them do different things. But in collaboration, it helped us. You know, ended up creating a big network of guys that are doing things on a massive scale, but for the right purposes. You know, and now you've got social equity projects, social impact projects, economic impact projects. You've got the uh, the medical research and studies on one side, you've got the you know, entrepreneurial side on one side. And like I said, it keeps it keeps leveraging itself, it keeps duplicating itself and you know i just got back from japan you know i was out there recently because we had one of the limited approvals to import hemp-based cbd products into the country and if anybody knows anything about japan <laughs> that is very tough to do you know to get that kind of approval because they're a very conservative culture and you got to go through multiple levels of um, government agencies to even get that kind of approval so that's just cannabis. You know, we covered in that little short time span. But, you know, I've been involved in, you know, real estate deals, um, land development deals, you know, finance deals, whether it's hard money loans, you know, loans against certain things, you know, collateral assets, etc. Obviously, I got involved into manufacturing package packaged goods and packaging supplies, materials. Um, also invested into an auto parts company, classic auto parts company. And, you know, when I look at these different businesses and opportunities, it goes back to jujitsu. I'm not investing into the business. I'm investing into the people. The people that we invest in is going to make or break what you do in the business, you know, cause you can have all the best things in the world. It's like you giving a Ferrari to a five-year-old boy. What do you think is going to happen? Nothing. <laughs> he, he doesn't know what to do with that thing. So you got to give it to the right person. You know, we, we like to think, uh, as you know, our lives and our businesses, a big bus, you know, and me and you read this book all the time, you know, and, you know, one of our favorite books we like to read now, you know, good to great, but you know, we think of life as a bus, you know, you got to get the right people on the bus, get the wrong people off of them and you got to put the right people in the right seats. And then at that point, once it gets moving, you build up the attraction and momentum. It's a beautiful thing to see.
1: Man, that's beautiful, man. That's a great story. And I tell you what, that's a big boy project. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> the whole beginning. So even for people who are listening who are just starting, because we we do have a lot of people who are in transition. they at some point, like you were in a corporate world. At some point, uh, some people are in the corporate world, they're not happy. They were where or they're adding, they do have some. Entrepreneurial tendencies or maybe they have that DNA that they do want to do something, but sometimes they just uh, hear the doubt insecurities that come in to pull the trigger So how did you guys let's say specifically you how did you deal with some of the fear doubts? And when you started that process going into this new industry, of course, you're gonna have like you came from one business that you know Didn't work and you're like, okay. I'm doing my homework now. I'm preparing but how did you deal with some of the doubts that popped up along the way?
2: Um, you know, with, with that type of thing, it's just part of life. You know, mistakes, failures, challenges, adversities, doubts, fears. That's part of life. And it's how you manage those things and what you do after those things hit that really separates you. And, you know, I, I'm a firm believer in a lot of different, you know, approaches, but I'm also a firm believer in keeping things simple and, you know, preparing for the worst and hope for the best and always doing your due diligence. You know, I said that in our preliminary conversations, but I said that a lot because those are the basics, but guess what? Those things come from jujitsu, you know? If you put yourself in training or in drilling in the worst case scenario possible, and you always figure out a way to get out, what do you think happens when you get there in competition? You know, you're gonna figure out a way to get out. You like, man, I've been here before so many different times, I'm gonna get out of there. And then when you do your homework and you study and you drill and you do your due diligence, your timing is much better, your angles is much better, your movement is much better, and your recognition of positions and different things and how do you chain them is much better. So that goes hand in hand. But as far as the fears, that's common. If you don't have fears, you don't have butterflies, you don't have those things when you do certain things, you might have to go to the doctor and check yourself. <laughs> you know, you, you, that, that's normal. And, you know, for people to have those things, embrace them. Um, you know, like anything else, to this day, we always have doubts. You know, we always have certain fears. Um, I know me, when I usually have those things, I like to I like to go for walks. You know, I like to walk my dog. I like to play with my son, you know, play with my daughter, you know, talk to my significant other. Um, and I, I like to just take a deep breath. You know, I go in my backyard, usually I take a deep breath when I'm feeling a little stressed or even outside of one of the facilities that we have, I'll walk around the parking lot or walk around our business parks or I'll walk in the country. And it's just to clear the mind, you know, take a deep breath, clear the mind, understand the fears, understand the doubts and take an analytical approach to them. I look at all the pros and cons of why I have those doubts and why I have those fears. And then from there, I, I put little things down on a piece of note paper, and I say, okay, look, here's option one, option two, option three. Uh, on both sides pros and cons and uh i don't like to do more than three things because i start to get you know it, there's so many different directions and uh what i do is i immediately reach out to mentors i immediately reach out to guys that i trust and value their opinion whether it's family whether it's business whether its you know martial arts whether this life i don't care and i get their thoughts on them and i ask them have you been here before what, what did you do what's your thoughts on it and then that way i start to kind of you know utilize a little bit of here a little bit of there and I make it fit into what I'm doing and then at that point I make it happen you know like even if I'm stressed or there's a tough decision and or you know a very you know a very tough time in our our journey I always sleep on it you know I always you know I think about it I sleep on it you know the next day I wake up I'm like okay you know I'm not mad I'm not distressed I'm I'm not frustrated about anything I just go into thinking you know, I have a much clearer mind here. I can make a better and well-informed decision, but let's look at the facts. I keep everything very fact-based. And at the same time too, as I find that happy medium and balance between understanding personal relationships, understanding relationship capital, understanding trust, but also understanding the downsides and understanding the upsides. And then when I have all those things in place, I make the decisions, okay? But you know, over the years, it's allowed me to make those decisions quicker. You know, but before, this should take me a while, man. You know, like whenever I have certain doubts or fears, I'm like, I'll be kind of like gunshot about things, right in business. You know, because you didn't want to fail, you didn't want to make mistakes. Nowadays, it's much easier. I can write it down, make a very quick decision, and then be able to steward me in flexible and fluid. Because that's the biggest thing that's given me tremendous success in what I do. I'm able to move at a rapid pace, but I'm also able to slow down. And you know, when people are going super fast, I can slow down, take a step back and take my time and find my pace, find my rhythm, find my technique and angle that I want to utilize and then roll. Or when they're slowing down, I speed up. So I go fast and I make them try to catch up to me and I make them try to, you know, run at my pace, but it never really works out in their favor. You know, cause if they try to play my game. That, that's, that's crazy. I'm good at my game. <laughs> mm-hmm. If they want to play my game, then okay, I'm going to win at my game, you know, and it takes people out of their element of things. So, you know, with, with with that, how I overcome them, I take a walk. I take a deep breath. I, I always look for the positive light in every negative situation. I spend time with family and loved ones. And I always go back to my why, you know? Like, why do you do certain things? Like, why do you get up every day? You know, what motivates you? What inspires you? You know, and for me, I have a routine, like clockwork. You know, there's 168 hours in a week. What you do with that 168 hours is separation between winning and losing. You know, the average person works 40 hours a week. The average person sleeps, you know, 30, 35 hours a week. And when you really break that down, it's 75 hours a week. So now you've got the other remaining part to really pursue different things and get it done. But my approach is different. If the average person is doing 40 hours a week and I'm doing anywhere between 80 and 100 hours a week, over the course of, you know, a long period of time, you know, years, I'm going to be able to duplicate or double or triple the output versus what they do. And I use the same thing in Jiu Jitsu. You know, it took me about four years to get my black belt, you know, under John. And, but that was because I was training two, three times a day, five, six days a week, putting in a time training. And, but also finding that same balance to where I had to give back. You know, I had to teach the kids. I had to share the knowledge. I had to share the techniques. I had to have no ego. I could go to different academies and train with different people and, you know, share and grow with each other. But it made me a better person, not just a, a jiu-jitsu player or a judo player. It made me a much better person. But what happened was I never made it about the time. You know, I never made it about, in jiu-jitsu, I never made it about the time. In business, it's about time because you got to be effective. But in jiu-jitsu, I made it about, you know, the, the true appreciation and the love and gratefulness for the art because of what it gave to me. You know, so when I was training all those times, I, I never looked at the belt. You know, when the belts came, it's cool. You know, even I remember the first couple of times when uh, me and John had some conversation with the black belt, I was like, oh, I don't know, you know, I was, I was trying to dodge it for a little bit <laughs> I didn't want that pressure. You know, I didn't want that, you know, that target on your back, you know, once you get it. And he told me things and said, look, Rance, you got to embrace everything, you know, whether it's the downsides, the upsides, whether it's the wins and the losses you've got to embrace it and you got to roll with it. You know, that's life. you got to enjoy the journey. You got to take it one day at a time, one step at a time. And I remember we had such an impactful conversation. We had a buddy of his and you know him too. Um, Ensign, Inouye.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Ensign, uh, came on a trip and I think I was like a purple bell at this time. Um, and so I was visiting from Japan and you know, we're all having a conversation afterwards. It was like me, Ensign, um, JL, I think um, Reese Idiko was there and um, Dave Howard and some of the other guys, I, I can't remember who, but, you know, we're all talking, having great conversations, laughing, talking about experiences, talking about jujitsu, talking about what jujitsu did for us, talking about competitions, et cetera. And then we got to talk about family and life. And then Ensign, you know, if you guys, anybody knows Ensign, you know, that's a very passionate person.
0: Yeah, you know, I that think. guy
2: is, he's kind of intense. <laughs> 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 you know, he's got a mindset to where it's very, very admira- you know, admirable. You know, but that guys he's all about that life. You know, he, his mindset is super tough. But he asked us one question that forever changed my life. He said, in the last minute that we've been sitting here, how many breaths have you taken? Of course, everybody looks at each other. I was like, I don't know. <laughs> and of course, some of us to counting and whatnot. And he was like, you know, take your time. I'll wait. You know, if you guys have a number. And then he came back and said, exactly my point. Right now we're sitting here enjoying the fresh air that we breathe in, enjoying our time with each other, enjoying the conversations that we have with each other. There's other people in the world calling the breads till they die, till they pass. And don't take those things for granted. Bro, that hit me so that hit me so deep at that time. That hit me so hard. And I was just sitting there looking. I was like, man, it, it totally shifted things, you know? Because in the conversations, we were joking. Everybody's having a good time. But when he asked that question, it really put things into perspective. But that's what made me really at that time. And this is like 2009. Mm-hmm. It really made me put my emphasis on time management on how I utilize my time, how I utilize 168 hours in a week, you know, that 24 hours in a day, you know, the 365 days a year, and really track and manage my days, my months, my goals, short-term, long-term, everything by time, but also create risk management and buffers. In case I don't hit them, it's okay, you know? So, and then it translated back to, you know, Jiu-Jitsu again. You know, in Jiu-Jitsu I was able to focus so heavily on, you know, improving myself as a person, improving myself as, you know, a martial artist, but more important, improving what I do to give back. You know, and that was one thing that John really made very important in, in the guys that came up with us. Because as you know, Gustavo, you know, John didn't give up too much black belts, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that guy. And that's his thing, you know, his thing was like, make sure when you give them out, you put your name on somebody, and you invest your time, your life, everything you got to that person that is worth the journey. You know. Because there's going to be some times and losses where you, that person might not be able to go with you or you might separate. And that's okay, he said. But when you put your time to somebody and you give them, you got to give them 100%. And when you do give them, make sure that that was the right thing for you and that person. And if there something ever bad happens in the future, you got to be able to live with that and you know i've always taken that piece of advice into everything you know like we're saying whether it's doubts and fears whether it's like the ensign thing we're talking about you know you know maximize your time be grateful be appreciative or whether it's how we structure our life in business so that's what i said i I got endless stories about jiu-jitsu but jiu-jitsu really really changed you know impacted my life on a whole different scale
1: yeah dude it was awesome because you probably answer like a good 3 questions combined here there's a lot of good stuff and for all the listeners I highly recommend you listen to the interview at least twice because there's a lot of good stuff there man I really appreciate it it's straight up you know talking about um cuz I ask about a high performance habit that you you have and you already mentioned about going for walks and then reflecting and what is the What is the good side? What's the bad side? What can I do? It's sleep on it. And even the best advice you ever received, uh, Anson, is an amazing advice for you to think about. And time management, there's so much good stuff there, man. I really appreciate it. And what would you say, uh, what is one of the, let's say, one of the most impactful books that you've ever uh, read? And it's tough to say because some books come in different moments of your life. You know, sometimes at a book, then it's 22, you read it like, man, And then you read at 30 and you're like, whoa, I didn't <laughs> see this before. You know what I'm saying? So why did you say yeah, yeah. it's the one that it made a big impact on you?
2: Um, man, that's a tough one, man. You know, because Gustavo, I'm like you. I see all the books in the background over there and I can appreciate it. <laughs> you know, I, I read a lot. You know, I probably read, I don't know, four or five hours a day. You know, I get up before 35 o'clock every morning and I start my morning off with reading you know, whether industry insight, whether motivational speaking, whether it's affirmation type of our deals, you know, so like, for example, when I wake up, I read um, a word of the day, you know, I listen to guys like John Maxwell, Needle Cubain, you know, guys that really have positive affirmations about things. And I reflect, take that in. Then I immediately go into um, almost like a short video documentary clips of, you know, motivational, you know, speaking and whatnot. And that right there gets a mindset correct. You know, it's like preparing me a warm-up for your training, you know, you're preparing your warm-up for your fight. And then a third one, I go directly into um music. You know, I love music, you know me, I love Bombardi, I love you know, reggae music, island music. I love all kinds of music, except the ones that were the you know real hardcore metal rock with the screaming and you know doing all that crazy stuff that I don't like. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I go through those three things and then I immediately jump into reading on industry finance, um, economics, politics, uh, and that new favorite book. You know, I'm always reading certain books. I try to do at least one book a month. Sometimes I don't keep up with that, but mainly because I can only have a certain amount of time to read that book. So I try to read at least one or two chapters a day to keep my momentum going. And a lot of the books that I read, they're very big, you know, something like 800 pages, you know, so sometimes I don't have that luxury of, you know, reading them all And you know, as much as I like. It's too hard to retain the information. But, to go back to your question, that's why it's so hard. You know, I've read so much books over the time, and you know, I've been very fortunate and gifted to retain a lot of information at once. You know, and like I have like a photographic memory too, to where if I see something one time, I'm gonna remember it. And I think the two books that really stands out to me, I think we had in our preliminary conversations, was uh, one of them was um, the four hour workweek. Yes, Tim Ferriss.
1: Big and impact got, on me, man.
2: That guy's a beast, man. You know that guy. I gotta give yeah. him plenty of credit too, because you know he listened to his journey, his story, his podcast.
1: By the way, he doesn't work four hours a week, y'all. Yo, you know, <laughs> <laughs> he works more than four hours a week.
2: Oh, absolutely, I guarantee it. <laughs> but his um his structure to automation,
0: yeah.
1: You
2: know, that book, his structure to time management, his structure to reflective and balance of life and quality of life management, and also his approach to short-term and long-term goals and how he immediately starts segregating things, you know, immediately start moving things out to make quick, fast, well-informed decisions, but also come back to him if he has to, you know, so that book right there, it really, really helped change. But then all the books that he's put out, you know, from the four hour body to, you know, tools of Titans to, you know, he's got a bunch of books that he's put out. Um, so that's one. And I highly suggest it to anybody that, you know, really having challenges of just organizing structure. I think that's part of the biggest thing in any entrepreneur's life. Sometimes they feel that they're so busy and that's a common word, I hate that word. Oh, I've just been busy or I've been doing this, I've been doing that. No, you're much better things to say than say you're busy. You know, when people ask what you're doing, just man, I've just been working on being very productive, you know, really overcoming challenges, you know, cause I don't really look at problems as problems. I always look at problems as challenges. And I always use that word because it it, it gives a different mindset to things. You know, if somebody tells you a problem, I immediately think negative. If somebody tells you a challenge, positive. Immediately make that move, go on and figure out over it, under it, through it. I don't care. You know, we're going to get over it. And then even with, um, you know, just the approach of why you build the mind, you know, and the mind is like jujitsu. You build your technique. Your mind is technique. You build it every day, routine. You're drilling, repetitive and whatnot but the book with for a work week really you know touches on those things many key things and then a second one i'd have to say um, i like reading cuz remember i said i like to look at weaknesses failures mistakes and how they've overcome them but also look at certain things you know i take it with you know certain grains of you know appreciation respect because everybody's going to have their opinion everybody's going to have their suggestion about things their you know, their position on things. And I'm one guy or two where I'm neutral about a lot of things. I don't really kind of like to choose sides. That's just not my thing. You know, I just rather just everybody collaborate and cooperate, everybody work with each other, move on and do great things. You know, I don't want to be so resistant or so combative about things, you know, because I know together we always going to achieve more than by ourselves. And, you know, so the second book is going to be Titan. It was a uh, autobiography on John D Rockefeller written Mm -hmm. by Ron Cherno and that, that book Titan. I read it, I think about four times. (laughs) It's gotta be close to 800 pages. Wow. And I, I, I've read it multiple times. Cause you know, like anything else, when you read something one time and you read it back a second time, a couple years later, you see something that you didn't see the first time. And I like to watch, you know, documentaries a lot. I don't really watch TV. You know, I haven't, I haven't had cable in, 11 years, you know, because when I was in college, I just couldn't afford it. So <laughs> and I just got kind of used to it. But I, I don't really watch TV. You know, I watch documentaries. You know, I watch, you know, learning series. I watch, you know, motivational speaking. I watch affirmation type things. I watch learning things about what I'm involved in, how to add on to my strengths. And one of the things that I, I piggybacked and bundled up with that book, Titan, was a history series on AE called, um, the Men Who Built America.
0: Hmm.
2: It was about John D. Rockefeller, um, J.P. Morgan, Cornelius Vanderbilt.
1: Yeah. Is that 12 episodes? Yeah. Yeah, I saw that. It was incredible.
2: Andrew Carnegie yeah. and uh, Henry Ford. So Incredible. I was watching that series while I was reading that book, Titan. And every time I read that book, Titan, I watched that series again. And the whole point of me watching that, reading that book was, I wanted to see, you know, in order to build a company like Standard Oil back in the day, where you had the federal government come after you for, you know, antitrust laws and break apart your company and different things, you got to be doing something, you know. Whether it's the, I, I mean, I agree with some of the things that he did to get to those positions, mm. you know, with the, you know, the approaches in business that he took. But then I also Someone see just why
1: cold-blooded ones.
2: <laughs> yeah, you know, and I, I can see why he did it, you know. And then also see the how he had to pivot, you know, how he had to, you know, like, for example, Cornelius Vanderbilt and um, I can't think of uh, Tom Scott, I think so was his name, you know, Andrew Carnegie's mentor, when they try to, you know, put some pressure on him with the railroads to transport his product across the country, you know, when they try to put, you know, certain pressure on him, he pivoted right away, you know, and he started creating pipelines to cut out the railroads altogether. And, you know, at that point, it's something so simple, but like what made him think about that at that time? And it came from a opportunity of change, an opportunity of distress, an opportunity of frustration of somebody trying to put their competitive edge on him. And, you know, he bounced back right away, made it happen. And, but then also things in there in that book talks about his family, you know, talks about the ups and downs, you know, talks about his upbringing, talks about, you know, just all the different things that their families have been involved in. You know, you said that Standard Oil, you say Rockefeller, you sell gasoline. Those guys are tied together, you know, and a lot of people, if they don't know the history, they can only go from what they heard from their friend or what they heard from what people's own views on it is and instead of really going out there and learning. So, you know, that's why I appreciated that book. You know, I got a chance to really learn a lot because I was one of those guys, like, man, no, that guy was just a greedy guy. You know, he was just ruthless and doing those different things but I didn't understand why, you know, I wanted to know why he was that way, you know, why he did certain things and how he did it. And, you know, once I got to, you know, really understand those things, I was like, wow, you got to give us some kind of respect.
1: <laughs> yeah, no kidding, man. And if you think about it, I mean, the amount of resources that you have nowadays, but when they did it, Oof. you know what I'm saying? It's just another level of creativity and like how you come up with a problem solving back then, like, like major problem-solving that changed the United States and changed the world in a lot of ways it's just incredible It's just definitely incredible and man this has been an amazing interview Rins, and really uh, it's been great man so what uh, what are you currently excited about what's going on with your business with everything what you got going on <laughs>
2: To be handsome like you when I grew up, you know, that's, that's basically that. <laughs> um, now you know, Gustavo, you know, the biggest thing for me, what I'm excited about is you know, I, I, I truly am just excited about life. You know, I truly I enjoy waking up every day, I enjoy getting up and you know, doing something that I love. But more importantly, like the little things is like my my kids. So, as long as I'm in town, I take my kids to school every morning, and I don't take any meetings before that time. You know, because being that I get up so early when it's quiet in the house, I can work out, get my mind right, do all those things. And then I can get a chance to, you know, get with them during breakfast You know how they put on their clothes, you know, get those things there. And, you know, take them to school, you know, tell them I love you, you know, kiss them goodbye before they go to school. Say, look, I'll see you guys today after I get off of work. And, you know, that right there makes me so excited for my day. I get things right. But it, it puts things back into perspective of why I work so hard, of why I do so much things that I do, you know, why I travel across the world, and why I make so much sacrifices. Because, you know, with, with my kids they have no idea. You know, those kids have no idea. They just know their dad works a lot. You know, their dad is always with some good friends, and, uh, you know, they have no idea about the positioning that's going on right now. Because I'm not going to ever give that, you know, that entitlement feeling to them. You know, they're going to learn the value of hard work. They're going to learn the value of family. They're going to learn the value of the, our values of why we're building our legacies. You know, we're not doing this for ourselves. You know, we're always doing this for, you know, the future. We're always doing this for the legacy that we create, the people we impact positively and, you know, the, you know, the families that we help impact by the employment of the jobs that we give and, you know, and the communities that we service, you know? So like this morning we just had a, um I, I got a letter this morning from one of the uh, contributions that we made for a donation back in my hometown. There's a little canoe club out there. We donated some uh, some resources to them, and of course, the kids wrote back so thankful and whatnot. You know that just touches the heart. But you know when I show that to my kids, they're like, "Oh, Daddy, we did that." You know, like you know, our family gave to them. You know, like that—that's amazing. I really want to go there, and share with them, and see what's going on, because I just want to change their mindset to the point where they're really caring about how they impact and help others, but simply to really understand to work hard. So you know, like even them, their lives are very structured. You know, they they go to school, you know, they've got, you know, extra curriculum, um tutoring, you know, multiple times a week to focus on certain things. Like I said, I don't see it as problems. I just see it as challenges. And, you know, <laughs> it's funny between my son and my daughter, my son catches on very fast. You know, he's like, you see one time he got it. Like, that kid don't even have to do his homework and just go do a test. And he does very well. And that's the kind of stuff that pisses people off. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like my daughter is the opposite. You know, she's got to work 10 times harder and she still might not get it. You know, she takes a little bit longer, but It's just one of those things where I'm excited to see their progress and growth in life. I'm excited to see them understand work, understand family, understand what we do in our duty, in our service, in our communities. And I'm just excited for the future, man. You know, business-wise, our industry is changing fast. You know, I'm just, multiple industries. I'll talk about cannabis, for example. Our industry is consolidating emerging and acquiring itself at a very rapid clip the global scale is getting involved at a very rapid clip and you know right now looking at America you got over 60% of the United States with some form of medical laws or you know adult use laws in 10 states which is 20% of America but you know if you just fast-track seven years ago back 2012 those two states it also look in seven years how fast it went from two states to 33 states when you look at that nice. growth that's you know truly amazing and then even when you look at the history and industries before us of how we got to that point you know when i go back to rockefeller and you know say oil say alcohol say sugar say rubber all those same industries had the same you know patterns and trends that our industry has now you know whether it's the technology infl- um, advancement whether it's the manufacturing advancement the political advancement you know the the economics of things, you know, supply and demand, you know, the retail, all the different things. So I use those things as jump offs to do things, but it also helps get excited again because I'm learning and I'm like, okay, you know what? This is what they did before back in the day. So let's try to, you know, try to position ahead of it. Cause you know, in business, you know, you've been a very influential part in what you're doing. You've always been open with me and you've always been very straightforward with us, you know, and I've always been appreciative, but in business it's simple. Either you create the curve or you stay ahead of the curve. Because if you're playing catch-up in this fast-moving industry, you're going to get right over. And that's just anything. It's like jujitsu. If your timing isn't correct and that person beats you to that position at that point and has the right position, technique, timing, and leverage, I don't care how big and how strong you are, you're done. It's because you're out of position or you weren't ahead of that timing or you weren't ahead of that curve or you weren't creating that opportunity to create that curve. And you know, just saying those things over there got me excited. <laughs>
1: yeah, that is awesome, man. So, how people can reach you online if you want to have questions or, or not, maybe on Facebook or Instagram or whatever you want to really put it out there.
2: I'm on. I'm definitely on Instagram. You know, I you know, I apologize ahead of time for any delays you know, I don't really go on that thing very so much often i try to do it you know daily when i get a chance to but mainly at night or early mornings but you know my name ranson shepherd so at ranson shepherd on ig um on facebook you know ranson shepherd um and then obviously you know email email is probably best um you know ranson shepherd gmail.com you know that will be the easiest route to get a hold of me on that and you know, to all the listeners, the followers, and you know, the jiu-jitsu community, the martial arts community, everybody, I, I'm just thankful, you know, for everybody's time, and thanks for everybody, you know, tuning in. Also, thank you to you know Gustavo and his team for, you know, considering you know myself, um, and you know, if I can get back, I'm I'm that guy, you know, if, if I can help you, I'm gonna help you. If I can't help you, I'm gonna tell you, you know, I'm not gonna waste your time, string you along, and do those things, you know. People might not like it or agree with it at that point, but I know in my heart I did the right thing. You know, and that—that's all that matters at that point.
1: Absolutely, thank you so much, man. It's been great. We can definitely—we at some point there's some guests that I always say like we're gonna have a part two, and I think you're gonna be one of them at some point. We're gonna have a part two because we could be here for a few wow. hours. So uh, <laughs> at some point you're gonna do it. So appreciate. It. I not even know what I'm gonna t- uh, talk about because in my after the interview. I go and I edit and I reflect on the messages they're sent and I create a content and I research and I teach. I believe that I'm a teacher by nature. Maybe I may not be teaching jujitsu now, but I'm a teacher like my mom and I like to teach. So get those concepts and, and share with people what all the concepts that um, you've been sharing with us and you drop so much good stuff that, uh, this is one of, it's going to be one of my challenging ones, which means that's good, you know, <laughs> because the, the challenging ones, that, that means I need to research more and that's when I learn the most. So, which is pretty awesome. So, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate it. And for all the listeners, stick around for my final thoughts. Oops. Thank you, brother. Let me share with you my final thoughts from the interview with Renson Shepard. If you're listening just to the final thoughts, Renson is a black belt in jiu-jitsu, the chief marketing officer of Grips, a grappling and MMA apparel company, and also the co-founder of Pegasus Nevada, a cannabis cultivation business. I hope you're able to grab at least one good takeaway from the interview. During the podcast, I suggest you to listen to the podcast twice because Renson dropped a lot of knowledge, stories and valuable information that can be useful in your entrepreneurial journey. It was hard to pick one takeaway, however, things that stood out to me were the importance of having mentors. Multiple guests have brought this topic up, but that was an excellent reminder to everyone, including you, not to underestimate the power and value of more experienced people can bring to your life, especially in the areas that you're looking for improvement. He shared great stories about taking risks, and when he shared about one of his biggest entrepreneurial struggles, and what did he learn from it, inspired the title of the podcast, Prepare for the Worst and Hope for the Best. The definition of this quote is straightforward. Be optimistic, but also be prepared for all possibilities. As you already know, after each interview, I reflect on the takeaway, research on the topic then I create the final thoughts to inspire, impact, in or improve your life in some way. These final thoughts were challenging to develop, and I hope you enjoyed. Here it goes. What is your favorite sport to watch in the Olympics, summer or winter? Which one do you identify yourself the most? So think about how much these athletes commit their lives to qualify for the Olympics. If you notice, I didn't even ask you to consider how much these competitors commit to winning a gold medal. I'm saying to get to the Olympic Games. Now imagine for one athlete to accomplish 28 Olympic medals, including 23 gold. How obsessed with success this individual must be? This athlete is the best swimmer of all time, Michael Phelps. Why am I bringing his name up? Because as Renson said, Prepare for the worst and hope for the best is what Phelps has been doing since he was a little kid. The first time Bob Bowman, his coach, met Michael Phelps, he knew instantly he had discovered the once-in-a-lifetime swimmer. Phelps started to work with Bowman when he was 11 years old. The prepare for the worst and hope for the best was ingrained in his mind early in his career. During my research, I found an article written by Julian Linden sharing a Bowman and Phelps early memory story. Bowman said, quote, When Phelps was swimming at one of his first national junior meets in the U.S., I noticed he had left his goggles behind just before he walked out to the blocks. I saw them sitting in our team area. I could have taken the goggles to him, but I decided to keep them and see what he could do, Bowman said. So he swam and won the race without the goggles, unquote. He was preparing him for the worst and hoping for the best. This tactic would pay off in the future. A few years ago, I was watching a 30-minute interview with Phelps, and he talked about his visualization practices. He said, quote, I created the habit of closing my eyes and envisioning the entire race, stroke by stroke, from start to finish. I picture myself making the perfect stroke every time. I see exactly how many strokes I will need to get from one wall to the next. I play a mental video of the perfect race, unquote. He also shared that he visualized worst-case scenarios during the competition like the strings of his swimming trunks ripping, swimming without goggles, or swimming with his goggles filled with water. Some athletes may say, I don't know about that, Gustavo. I don't want to attract negativity. I don't want to visualize someone on my back or my side mount in a jiu-jitsu tournament. It gives me anxiety just to think about it. That is the point. Phelps prepares for the worst and hopes for the best, and he should do the same in sports and life. As I mentioned earlier, the definition of this quote is being optimistic, but also being prepared for all possibilities. From all his 23 gold medals, the most impressive one was the medal he won in the 200 meters butterfly during the 2008 Beijing Olympics in China, where he won eight gold medals. The most impressive because he won in a dramatic fashion, and the prepare for the worst and hope for the best mindset paid off big time. In this race... Phelps already held the world record in this event, and everyone was expecting him to win. Then one of the worst case scenarios that he has visualized before struck. As soon as he dove in, his goggles slowly started filling with water. By the time he reached the last length, He couldn't see anything at all, but he kept going in with an impressive pace. If you watch the video, you cannot even tell there is a problem. Everything looks normal. I'm posting the link of the race on this episode's post at the BJJMetalCoachPodcast.com. With a few meters to go, he makes one last stroke and then stretches out for the wall at the perfect distance, not being able to see if he was even there. When he looked up at the clock, he had not only won the gold medal, but broken the world record. Phelps said after the race to the reporters, quote, I dove in and it filled up with water, and it got worse and worse during the race. From the 150-meter wall to the finish, I couldn't see the wall. I was just hoping I was winning, unquote. Also, another prepare for the worst and hope for the best scenario paid off. Bowman said, quote, Phelps had to swim 17 races in nine days to win his eight Olympic gold medals. Nothing compared to when he was 13, when I would make him to swim 21 races in three days. Unquote. What is the moral of the story? Prepare for the worst and hope for the best in sports, life, and business. As Ransom mentioned, do your homework. When I asked him how did he deal with his fears and doubts, he answered, quote, I failed in my first business because I didn't prepare myself properly, and I wasn't going to let that happen again, unquote. With that said, if you are an entrepreneur or not, take responsibility for your success. Hard work is the root of self-confidence. When you know that you did everything you could to be ready for your challenge, you're prepared for the worst, but you're also hoping for the best, you will have better odds of achieving the success you desire. To wrap up, I would like to share a quote from Dale Carnegie with you. Quote, Be a balanced optimist. Nobody suggesting that you become an oblivious Pollyanna, pretending that nothing bad can or ever will happen. Doing so can lead to poor decisions and invites people to take advantage of you. Instead, be a rational optimist who takes the good with the bad, in hopes of the good ultimately outweighing the bad and with the understanding that being pessimistic about everything accomplishes nothing prepare for the worst but hope for the best the former makes you sensible and the latter makes you an optimist unquote oh, s-